0: And open them to the book of James. James chapter 1. And I want to read from verse 5 down through verse 8. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read. We're going to ask for God's blessing. And we're going to honor His Word by standing and listening to it. Let's pray. Father, we come now to honor You by listening to Your Word and give us a heart of understanding and acceptance of it. Help us, O Lord, to be humble, to receive it with sincerity of faith. Lord, address any issue in our lives that keeps us from hearing it, obeying it, carrying it out, Lord, our desire is to see ourselves, our homes, and our, our friends, our brothers and sisters conform to your most glorious and perfect will. Help us to do that as we now look at this portion of James and to discern whether or not we have wisdom or that we lack it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, beloved, I want to begin reading the book of James at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways and thus ends the reading of God's word you may be seated now brothers and sisters this morning I want to address the topic or the problem I guess is the better way to explain I want to address the problem of lacking wisdom when we face certain situations and circumstances the lack of wisdom is a problem now I guess the question is as we come to this text, do we have wisdom? Are we, do we consider ourselves to be wise men and women? Do we consider ourselves to be wise and understanding in the areas of life? Or do we lack wisdom? Have we spent much time thinking about it? If not, why not? And now's the good time to do it because this is where we are providentially in the word of God. And we need to consider wisdom and we need to consider whether or not we lack it or have it. And if we lack it, we need to go to God and ask for it. And if we ask for it, we need to ask for it in the right way. And we need to understand how to ask for it. Now, the first thing we need to do this morning is to make sure we understand what James means when he talks about lacking wisdom. That's important. Because I think for most of us, we would consider gray-headed folk wise. And yet, that's not exactly what James is meaning here. The Bible does speak of the gray-headed being wise, but... Not in the same context that we might think just because you're older or just because you've been here on this earth a long, long time that you're a wise person. That's not true at all. There are a lot of 90-year-old fools, 80-year-old fools, 70-year-old fools. So we need to make sure that we have a, a solid grasp and understanding upon what James is talking about here if we're going to benefit from it. So what is this wisdom? Well, the first thing that it is not that I want to bring to your attention, and it's not education. It's not education. Nothing wrong with being educated. It's nothing wrong with having a multitude of degrees out by your name if that's what you prefer and have chosen to put your hands and minds and labors to. Nothing wrong with that at all. But yet, you can have a multitude of degrees and not be wise. So it's not just education. It's not just the the culmination of a lot of facts. It's not that. It's not academic. That's not what James is referring to or meaning at all when he talks about if we lack, you know, the right information. James is not saying that. So it's not education. I want you to know, beloved, you can't go to college and become wise. That's not what... College is for. And you need to understand this. That doesn't mean you can't go to college and be wise. That's not what I'm saying. But just because you go to college and just because you graduate and just because you collect a a, a plethora of degrees, that does not necessarily make you wise. And this is important. We certainly live in a day and age where there's a high value placed upon degrees. I'm not going to say educated people because even having a degree doesn't necessarily make you useful. I've met a lot of people with degrees that are not very useful. But they have the degrees. They've done the time. They've paid the, the money. They've got the degree. And, and I'm afraid to say this, but I think it is true. You can correct me if you don't agree. That's fine. I think more and more and more education in this country is nothing more than a money and profiteer more than anything else. It's not necessarily about you know, the providing a, a, a skill set that no one else can have. That's a whole other topic, isn't it? We want to talk about wisdom. It's not degrees. It's not academics. What is it then? Well, most of the time when you pick up a book and you want to, a theological book or dictionary, and you look up the the wisdom, and and you're going to see this quite often. It's related to this idea of um, skill being being very skilled at living life before the face of god and that's very true that is an important aspect and i think to a degree that's somewhat what james is referring to here there is a skill involved as we live the christian life there are aspects of 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 skill. Of desire related to the difficulties and the agitations that we come in contact with by God's sovereignty, by His providence. And how do we relate and how do we act to those? So that is very true. And it's certainly a valid one. But that's not all there is to it. See, first of all, we need to see wisdom as what it is, and it is a grace. It is a grace. It's a grace because it comes in with the habitation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a fruit, a deposit. It is a outcome of the presence of God, His Spirit. In our lives, that's working in us with the revelation of God, the truth of God's word, working with that in the light of a circumstance and in the light of other graces where we begin to respond and act like the child, the son and daughter of God who've been recreated in Christ to be made into his image. Now, we've already addressed that, right? We addressed that the goal of these trials is Christ's likeness. Christ's likeness. The goal of these trials is to conform us to to God's perfect will. That's the goal. Now, there are some aspects of this wisdom that I want to bring to your attention that I think are important. And if you want to jot these down, particularly you young people, I encourage you to do so. Because these aspects are important as we ponder and contemplate whether or not we have wisdom or lack it, and we need to ask God for it. First aspect of wisdom as it relates to Scripture, that is the whole counsel of God's Word, is the cognitive aspect, discernment. Discernment. There is a cognitive aspect to this wisdom, it does address the mind. It does address our understanding. There is an aspect that we have to relate to this wisdom in understanding, in knowledge, truth, discernment, discretion. But it's not just that. And that's what we have to keep remembering. You know, it's it's this idea, like if I go to collect a bunch of facts, if I just go to Google and collect a bunch of facts, well, does that make you wise? Well, it doesn't. It might make you, you know... Full of facts, but it doesn't make you wise, okay? It's a big difference, and we need to make sure we distinguish, right? Discern between the two. But there's a cognitive aspect of discernment as as we address this wisdom that James is calling us to if we lack it. Now, read out, let's go back to Proverbs 2. Let's go back to Proverbs 2. And let's rehearse what we've already read so that it sort of maybe etches itself into our thinking. Notice that first section there, that verses 1 through 5. Notice everything that the, uh, Solomon is saying here. My son, if you will receive my words. Notice these words are related to God's commandments. God's commandments are related to his will, to truth, to reality. If you treasure my commandments within you, notice the desire of treasure, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, lift your voice to understand. If you seek her as silver, search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now that's the aspect of it's cognitive. It's inward, right? It, it has, it's related to how we think. It's related to our meditations. It's related to how we, we, we logically deduce things. We go from A to B to C to D in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God. And all related to the things He has shown us. We don't skip B, C, you know, uh, we don't go from A to F. That would be illogical. We make sure we stay in the pattern of thinking. We cognitively think about these things. That's important. Look at Psalm 119, verse 98. Just Psalm 119. Go back in your Bible. Psalm 119. Now I'm going to show you, I'm showing you there are these correlations, there are these relationships. That is, it would be absolutely an absurdity to to ponder and contemplate wisdom without interacting and relating to God's law. It would be impossible. We're talking about God's will and it's impossible to consider and ponder God's will apart from his law, apart from his revealed moral will. But notice here in Psalm 119 verse 97 and following says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Now notice the cognitive aspect of it. Look, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your commandments. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now let me make a connection for you. so we have this cognitive idea but this cognitive aspect of wisdom also must be connected to that to the aspect of morality morality that's why james can say in the book of james later on that wisdom from above is peaceful right it is good it is it's heavenly there's a connection here the connection that he makes now when the when the psalmist talks about being wiser than the aged or being wiser than his than his teachers i think the relationship there is is found out in the words i keep thy commandments i meditate on your ordinances i walk in every righteous way what the psalmist there is doing is showing us i'm I'm more wise than the aged in my day because the aged are not concerned with the morality and the will of God. Yes, they know a lot of things. Yes, they have the gray hairs. Yes, they have experience, but they are personally not interested in walking the paths of righteousness. In this word, the psalmist says, I'm wise above my instructors, because I I ponder and meditate upon God's holy ways. Wow! Think about that. See, it's not enough to know things. They the the psalmist here just made a distinction between knowledge, bare naked knowledge alone, with this cognitive understanding that leads to these great moral desires and and preferences and appetites. Okay. Now, all these are going to come to play in a minute. Look at uh, 119 verse 130. Now, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as your manner with those who love your name. I'm just going to stop there. I could keep reading because it talks about teaching your statutes and all these things because that's an aspect of, of true wisdom. We have the cognitive aspect we have that, the, the, the teaching and instruction aspect and we have the moral and ethical aspect. Those three are important when we want to understand biblical wisdom. And here the psalm that says, I've been instructed, I've been taught. And, and see, that comes to play in what James is telling us to do. If you lack wisdom, you should ask for it. And God gives an answer. He gives liberally and graciously to those who ask for it. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a teaching and instruction aspect of it. We looked at Proverbs 2. Psalm 119 addresses this too. Go to Ephesians 4. I want to show you another uh, way of the dispensing of this grace. Ephesians chapter 4. That is, God is the one who has provided all we need for life in godliness. And here's the one thing that God wants us to do. God wants us to be wise. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the text in James. God wants us to be wise. Here's the problem. Do we know whether or not we are wise or not? If you lack wisdom, ask of God. But do you really know and understand whether or not you lack wisdom? You may not even know that. You may think you're all wise. Full of understanding. And we need to, what if you're deceived? What if you deceive yourself? What if you're not wise at all? What if you've confused wisdom with knowledge? What if you've just confused wisdom with that bare-necked knowledge? What if you've confused wisdom with age? What if you just confused wisdom with experience? Hey, I've been through a lot. Hey, there's a lot of people that have been through a lot that are are not any better off. Okay. Yeah, that 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 doesn't mean they're not examples. They can be examples for the wrong things, reasons, right? Sure. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 11. Paul here is referring to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ in his in his glory and his mediatorial glory. That is, he's been glorified. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's been raised up. He is now our our prophet, priest and king par excellence glorified. And now he's been raised up to heaven. And look what Paul says about this Jesus. He says, and he gave that is Jesus once he ascended in verse 10. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, I want you to know something. Here's here's what, here's what the picture. The picture is the ascension of Christ. Christ goes and he takes his rightful, glorified place. He's now been exalted to the right hand of the Father, the place of authority, dignity, and power and glory. And now what does he do? He gives gracious gifts to his people. Now, what's the purpose of these gifts? What's the purpose of the apostles, teachers, evangelists, and whatnot, and elders? Well, he tells us right there in verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now I'm going to stop reading there because it talks about building up the body in love and it's very important. But here's my point. My point being is what we see there is the role and the goal of these grace gifts given over to the church is to what? Grow you up. So you can all be unified in your faith. That is doctrine. We can all, guess what? There is nothing wrong with believing the same things. Everybody wants something new. Everybody, they're all, hey, I, we, we, we have uncovered the holy grill of Christianity. You need to come over and hear my Bible teacher. My Bible teacher has uncovered these secret doctrines. See, that's what Russell Taz and Mormonism, that's what um, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, that's what they said. And it gobbled up a bunch of naive Christians who thought, well, I'm bored with this faith. I'm bored with it. I'm bored with Jesus. Let's get something new and innovative. Churches are always talking about relative and innovative. Be careful. Be careful. Because there's nothing more relative than God and his word. There's nothing more relative than the one that created everything and who speaks about his creation. There's nothing more. um, There's no more need for innovation We have all we need for life and godliness in Christ. And it's been given to us. And it's been handed down. And for generation after generation after generation, these truths and promises and graces have been handed down and handed down and handed down and handed down. And it's sad today that you can't walk in every building that calls itself a church and a people who call themselves Christians and find it. Because you can't, it's not there. You can find all kinds of things, but you can't hardly find the truth. You need to be aware of that. You need to be discerning. That's what, notice what Paul goes on to talk about here. Notice what is, what's the result of these teachers? Don't you don't be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, listen, there are people out there trying to trick you. There are people out there trying to deceive you. There are people out there trying to use you. Satan has his, um, his, his preachers. They're called angels of light. And they go around and they preach the gospel for all kinds of ill motives. And for all kinds of ill reasons. Now, what is that what, what do we deduce from that? We are deduced, this is serious business. That that part of growing up in Christianity is becoming a discernment between what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. What is the true gospel versus what is close to the true gospel, right? What is right and what is boy so rightish. I have literally talked to people before that had, have addressed and dealt with Mormons and thought they were Christians because they say all the right things. And then you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What did you say the name of that church was? Oh, that's that church over there on so-and-so Avenue. It's the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Brother, that's a cult. That's a doctrine of demons. That's a church that believes that Satan and Jesus are Brothers. That's a church that teaches that you will one day be a God and get your own planet and can habitate that planet sexually and that'll be the fulfillment of your covenant of grace. What? Yeah, open up the book and read it. We're well, not to be naive. We're to be discerning. Knowledgeable. We're to exercise Discretion. Not everybody that says they're going to help you is going to help you. That's what these you know we see it, right? We see it all the time. That's why women and young girls are the so many, that's why they're the victims of so many violent crimes. Because those men play on your sympathies. It's tragic. It's devilish. It's a reality, and we need to be aware of these things. So, what is wisdom? Wisdom, in its biblical aspects, the three aspects are what? It's cognitive, it's teaching and instruction. God gave teachers in order that we would teach the Word of God, and we would teach the Word of God in such a way that you would become discerning and wise. That you would become mature. That we would grow up. That's including me. I'm not the one that's sitting on a perch. I've been called to teach. But I'm not saying that I don't have to grow up too. Yes, pastors and elders have to grow up too. Okay? But I want you to see the, the three aspects. The cognitive, the teaching and instruction, and the moral aspect. Okay? So let's look at this wisdom that James is calling us to in the context that it's given go back to the book of James with me let's look at the context notice what James does here James writes and right before he right before verse 5 obviously or these other verses but notice it verse 4 he says let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing There's something lacking in verse 4. If you lack these things, notice that these trials, these agitations, as they come from your heavenly Father, as He brings them into your life experience and you have to interact and relate to them, you need to know how to do so in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God first and foremost. Not, Not your ease and comfort first and foremost. It's not. You know what? You know you go to the doctor, you have surgery, you go through various processes. It's not comfortable. It's actually it's painful. It hurts. But guess what? You got to go through that to get better. You have to go through a certain level of discomfort and embarrassment and pain to get better to improve your health, to improve your well-being. We accept that, but that's not the way we address trials. That's not the way we, we can suffer through that. If you will, we can just go through the, but when we as Christians come to these situations and we understand that in our lives, we are growing up morally and spiritually in all of these different areas, we need to know and understand, you know, why am I, why do I have a problem with this? Why do, why do I why am I mad at God? You can say, well, you know no one here is going to say I'm angry at God. You'll act like it, but you're not going to say it. How do you act like it? You quit reading your Bible. Stop praying. You won't to talk to the one you're angry at. What happens when husbands and wives get angry with each other? They don't keep conversing. They stop conversing. We don't pray. Right? We don't meditate on God's Word. We don't get up thanking Him for His many blessings. We don't think about praising and rejoicing. We don't think about those things. We don't want to go into church. That's an inconvenience. We would rather fill our day with other things. You say, well, that doesn't mean I'm angry with God. Well, what does it mean? You tell me. What does it mean? What does it say? He said, we never say it. We'll just do it. And James understands this. James understands. He says, listen, how do you know if you're lacking wisdom if you don't know what wisdom is? So we have to define that, which we have done. And now we need to look at it in the light of these trials and tribulations. These trials, they are prescribed by God in order to what? To develop Christian character and Christ likeness. They are designed and brought into our lives to move us along so that we more and more, not less and less, more and more walk like Christ, talk like Christ, act like Christ, pray like Christ, seeking. You need to say, well, Pastor, that's just way too spiritual for me. I'm sorry. There's only been one person that the Heavenly Father has ever spoken out and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And who do you think that was? That was Jesus. It wasn't you or me. It's his son, Jesus. That the heavenly father spoke from heaven and goes, see him? I'm well pleased with him. See, when we lack discretion and discernment, when we don't understand what these things are doing in our lives, we need to go and we need to ask God. Now, why is it important that we consider all this in the midst of these trials? Well, there are a couple of reasons I want to bring to your attention. Number one, trials have a tendency for the believer to harden his religious affections. Trials has a tendency, hardships, difficulties. They can be church hardships. We've been through several, haven't we? right these things if if we are not if we don't respond by faith to these things and how do you know you've responded by faith or not if i'm less zealous i didn't respond by faith If I'm less seeking after God's face, I didn't respond by faith. If I am less in any way to the means of grace, if I'm less with Christian integrity, if I'm not concerned that much about my own Christian testimony, I mean, people know I'm a Christian, hey, that's fine, big deal, no matter what, there's a bunch of them out there, I'm fine with that. Then you haven't responded by faith. When we respond by faith, these graces increase. Increase, increase, because that's the goal level. The goal of the grace, remember what I've already taught you? Grace begets grace. Grace begets grace. When we respond in grace, grace begets grace. That's the way we strengthen. That's the way we grow up. That's why it comes to life in our hearts. If you go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, as Jesus was warning his disciples about those days of tribulation, he said that those tumultuous days would lend itself to cooling off the love of God's people. Trials and agitations and hardships of life have the tendency to cool down religious affections. When things get hard, people withdraw. When things disappoint us, we become introspect. We we close everything off, but the things we like and the things we want and, and everything else is closed off. When we deal in hardships and difficulties, what we do, that's, listen to me, that's a sinful response to the sovereign providence of God and the trials that he's brought into your life to make you more Christ-like. It hurts. It hurts us all. The second thing about trials and these agitations is it lessens our desires for Holiness. You know what happens when we go through difficult times that we don't like? And it could be, listen, it could be a church trial. It could be major-wide church trial. It could be relational. It could be marriage. It can be children, child. I mean, it could be parent, child. It could be job-related. But when you go through some of these things, there's a tendency to put holiness on hold. To put holiness on hold. And you know what we say? I'm good enough. And you know why we say we're good enough? Listen to me. I'm I'm all over your toes. I know it. You know why we say it's good enough? Because we look at the person sitting next to us and we say, I'm just as good if not better than them. Therefore, I'm good enough. Brothers and sisters, that's not responding by faith. You lack wisdom. You lack understanding in the matters of God's providence. Because these graces that begets graces lends to holiness. It leads to holiness. It leads to a greater desire and sincerity of seeking God. Remember what we read in in Proverbs? The seeking, the treasure. Walking in God's ways, seeking in He said, "If you if you delight in hearing my voice, a third result of these agitations um, can just be a lack of desire to even want to know more. You know, I, I know enough." Now, I'm personally better than the most people I'm around. I'm okay with that. I'm good, but the other thing is knowledge. I don't need to go any further in my Christian knowledge and understanding because you know what? I know more than most people anyway. You ought to know the church I went to. Our church is more like a seminary. You know, there are some churches like concerts. You know, camps, youth camps. You know, I've heard it say, "Well, y'all church is like a school." I thought, "Praise God." They didn't mean it as a compliment. They meant it as something derogatory. You know, that's not I, I go to school during the week. I don't want to go to school on Sundays. I want to go, you know, to the to to a concert. I want to go to a a birthday party. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but we need to be taught. We need to be instructed. We need to learn. We need to grow in grace we need to know how to We need to know how to respond to merited marital difficulties we need to know how to respond wisely to a husband and wife we need to know how to respond wisely to church-wide issues we need to know how to respond wisely to children problems and 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 and, and you young people more parental problems you know how do you go to your mom and dad if you disagree you need to be wise right so and that's why hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 through 25 says don't forsake the gathering of yourselves but this is but notice what it says in that text it says stimulate one another to love and good deeds don't forsake the gathering of yourselves but do what gather so that you can stimulate the one sitting next to you to do what to love love who God and your neighbor, and do good works. How can you do that if you close yourself off? How do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know. You can't. That's why when we may come together and worship together, we may very much be hurting. That's why I said joy is not a false, fa- is not a false face. Joy is not a sm- false smile. We may come hurting. We'll hurt together. We may come joyful. Let's be happy together. We may come in between. Let's be in between together. But the point is, is that we respond to respond by faith and the strength that God gives so that we can stimulate the body to good works and love now where do we go to get this wisdom we know what it is and we know what can hinder it these trials but where do we go to get it verse 5 answers the question he says if any of you lacks wisdom That is related to these difficulties that you're going through. This integrity. The character issues that you may be having. Let him ask of God. Now it's important here to address our theology. Because what James is not saying is that God is simply a database of facts and information. That's not what James means. God's not Google. I mean... When we need to know something, what do we do? We Google it. But God is not a database. And I know we laugh because we go, well, we know that. No, really, when's the last time you went to God and asked for wisdom? When's the last time you looked up an article on the Internet? Now, I'm not saying God's going to get, you know, tell you how many horsepower you know, a a 2018 GT Mustang has. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is is how we have habituated ourselves to look for information. When we need to see what James is doing here is seeing this wisdom as ethical, moral, cognitive, and instructive. Look, if you lack it, you need to do something. You You need to turn to God. Now, why, why, you know, you know, it's interesting, right, that some of these portraits and pictures that have been rendered over the years has God looking like an old man. Sort of the signify is wisdom. That's not it. It's not it. See, God doesn't have a bunch of facts that makes him wise. God doesn't have a bunch of collected information. God's not this depository of all of this said collection of truth and data. Therefore, you know, we go to him. No, God is wisdom. God just doesn't have wisdom. God is wisdom. Wisdom. He is wisdom. He is the very essence of all that we've talked about. He's the very essence of skill, cognitive reason. He's the very essence of what makes life, life. He, he, that's what we're talking about. What makes life, life? God has the answer. That's skill. That's wisdom. He has the answer to that. Science cannot answer that question. God is wisdom So we're to recognize that he alone can answer the question that we're asking. He alone can be the only one to give us that wisdom we need. What did Proverbs 2 teach us? That it's God who gives wisdom to the heart. I could pull up a dozen, two dozen three dozen passages of Scripture that talks about God is the one who gives wisdom. This this wisdom we're talking about here. Notice James didn't say go to the the Apostle Paul. (laughs) I think the Apostle Paul was probably a pretty wise man and worthy of going to and getting counsel from, amen. But James didn't say go to seek seek Paul out. He said, "No, no, no, no. If you lack wisdom, you need to ask God. Because what in James' mind is going on here? Well, look at verse 17 of chapter one. "Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of Lights." What is, what's James' theology teaching? Now, our father is a giving God. He's a giving Father. He is is not only wisdom and infinite wisdom at that. Because God is infinite in every aspect, in every attribute. But He is a giver. And that's what James talks about here. He is your heavenly Father who knows what you need before you even ask. Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. Maybe I can point this out more clearly here. Because again, remember in our introduction, James loves the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot of correlation and relationship between the book of James and the the Sermon on the Mount. And this might very well be a place that James has in mind here. Well, notice... um, verse 25 now for this reason i say to you don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor your body as to what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing now jesus asked the question now jesus listen to me you you it would be an you would bring absurdity to the word of god if you say well i well god doesn't care about what i wear so i'm not gonna worry about what i wear that's not what he's saying What Jesus is doing is making a connection between the necessities of food and clothing and then asking the question to find out where do you go for the true necessities of life? He's making a connection. He's wanting you to be wise. He's not wanting you to sit back and be some, some dummy that says, well, God doesn't care about food and God doesn't care about clothing. No. Jesus is simply making a reference and a connection. Because these things are so essential. Guess what? Where do you go to get them? What do you, who do you depend on for these things? He's making you think, well, where do I go to get these things? Now notice what he says: look at the birds of the air. Now he says. Now he's going to argue the lesser to the greater. Well oh, look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather in the barns, and yet their heavenly yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who are you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Not even Solomon. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, don't worry. Do not worry when saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the Gentiles eagerly seeks after all these things for your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows you need all these things and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Sound like James, doesn't it? What is he saying here? He says, have you forgotten? Listen to me. Have you forgotten you have a heavenly father who is all wise? Have you forgotten that you're his child? Child, go ask your father for wisdom. Because your heavenly father already knows what you need. And guess what? Your heavenly father will not give you a snake if you ask for bread. He'll give you bread, and he'll give you abundant bread, because he's a generous, loving Father. Notice he's the creator to the birds. He created the sparrow. He cares about the sparrow, but the, but he doesn't care about the sparrow as much as he cares about the person. Okay, we we ought not to be the animal planet fanatics. There's a there's a place. Okay. And that's why Jesus said, "Do you not see cre- how the Creator cares for his creation, but your Father cares for you." You see what Jesus has done here in this teaching? He says, "Why are you worried? When, why are you worried when you have a heavenly Father who cares about you more than, you, than his own creation? And He feeds them and cares for them. Will he not so care for you? His reputation's on the line? His name's on the line. His love's on the line. James points that out. James tells us that God is, the the, the implication is, who's the dispenser of wisdom? God. Who has this wisdom? God has this wisdom. But that God will give it. God's ready to give you what you lack, what you need. God wants to give it to you. So what do you have to do to get this wisdom? What do you have to do? Well, let's think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Is that not an invitation to pray? And to ask your Heavenly Father for what you need so He'll give it to you. There can be no greater invitation than that. Ask my child. I can tell you this. I can know my children need something. I'm okay with that. I'm like okay. But when they come and ask, it's different, isn't it? When they come and ask and they do it all the right way, well, they probably get what they ask for. How much more God, right? You, you, right? you, you got to ask for it. But now let's look at what James says, how to ask for it. And that's what we're going to end with. How do you ask for it? Because you can ask in the wrong way. James addresses this in James 3. He says, you know, why do you not get what you ask for? Because you ask amiss. You ask for all the wrong reasons. You ask because you want to to spend it all on your wicked pleasures. Not to the glory of God and to your own holiness. A couple of things here. First of all, we can ask in the wrong way. What's the wrong way? James describes it to us. James says this. After talking about how gracious God is, he says, who gives to all generously without reproach. And it will be given to him. Verse six. We must ask in faith, without any doubting. Now, let's address this asking in faith. What is this asking in faith? Well, the only thing that I can relate to here is it's to ask in the opposite of pride and arrogance. Is to ask in this in the humility and the sincerity of faith. I need these things. See, a proud man doesn't come to God with this lack of need. All right, you know, Lord, I'm deficient. Um, You know, uh, Lord, you know, it's like proud praying. You know, the proud man talks about how humble he is, but he only does that because he ought to do that. And he he says, "I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of my humility. And I'm so proud that you had a chance to hear me pray in my humility. No, God doesn't, that, that, that kind of prayer doesn't move God to anything. It, but it's a sincere recognition. Lord, I don't even like this trial I'm going through, but I, I need it. I know you're doing something wonderful. I know this because you promise it in your word. But Lord, I'm having a problem seeing it. I've been hurt. I've been, I've been devastated. I feel destitute. I'm broken. I need to be fixed. I'm ready to walk away from the faith. I'm ready to walk away from everything that I know is good. And you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to show me. Because I feel like a child again. Again. And I've got all this education. I've got all this Bible knowledge. I've been reading my Bible for years. I've, I've, I've read the Puritans and Reformers. I, I've, I've followed all these examples. But Lord, at this point, I am struggling. And I need you to touch me, and I need you to educate me. I need you to come and meet with me because I'm subject to error, and I'm subject to leaving. I have nothing to give, I have nothing left. I'm nothing. Well, not in the scheme of creation, but I'm I have proven I am not a stall. I'm not a pillar of the church. I'm broken, and I need you to come and fix me. I need you to come and give me wisdom to help my wife, to help my parishioners. I need to give you wisdom to help my children make sense of these things. I need wisdom. That's what we're talking about. You've got to come to the end of yourself. Because if you think you have something to offer God as He instructs you, you don't get what you ask for. You know that person that just wants to hear themselves talk and pray? <laughs> don't be that person. Sincerity of faith. That's what it means to pray in faith. That's what... When Hebrews says that the one who comes to God believes that God is. You're God. You're sovereign. And Lord, I know this pain and affliction in my life. It's good. I know it. I'm just having a hard time accepting it. You're right in everything you do. You're righteous. And you love me beyond anything I can imagine. But what I'm telling you is, God, I don't see it, and I don't even want to see it right now. But you've got to hold on to me Because I'll forsake the gathering of the elect. I'll forsake the means of grace. I'll just give up. I need you to hold on to me. I need wisdom. When we talk about the sincerity of faith, when we come to God like that, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I want to be conformed to Christ, but man, is it hurting I want to look like Jesus. I want, I want to be conformed to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I promise you, I'm hurting. I want to do the will of God, but I sure don't want to right now. And I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I don't want to be mature if this means this is the only way I can get there. Faith says I humble myself. I, I submit. That's, I submit. I'm submitting. I'm not just submitting. my. I'm submitting who I am. That's what it means to have lordship. That's what it means to have a lord. That's what it means to have a master. And, What's this double-minded man? What's this doubter? Well, let me explain it this way. And to doubt is to both, it's to believe two things at once. Okay, God says to ask, I ask. But you know what? The other side says he's not going to give it because he doesn't care. That's a doubter. Abraham talks about he believed God and it was a credit to him as righteous. God told him to leave his home and he did. God told him he was going to give him a land and a people and he did. God was faithful. Now, did Abraham stumble along those promises and confirmations? Did he stumble? Yeah, he did. But he didn't ever give up. That describes a lot of us, doesn't it? You ever stumbled? See, I've been talking about giving up, but I can't give up. And why can't I give up? Because God holds on to me. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 78. He says, I've stumbled and the Lord held my hand. So this, this doubting is the opposite of faith. I trust God. I don't trust God. I don't trust God to give me what I want, so I'll do, I'll do what I can to get it. I don't trust God to work this out in time. I don't trust God in this relationship. I don't trust God over with my marriage. I don't trust God in my church. I don't trust God to do any of these things that I'm wanting, so I'm going to do it myself. That's what it means. But the double-minded man is the man that has two hearts. Now, listen to me. When you go and ask God for holiness and you don't really want holiness, guess what? You ain't going to get holiness. Let me ask you this. When you pray and you ask for Christian maturity, do you really want to be mature? You really want that? Or you know you ought to pray that, but you don't really want that. When we pray for a culture and society purged of all evil and wickedness and all that, we... we Well, we get pleasure out of that. That's asking double-minded. It's two-hearted. Two hearts. One heart, oh yeah, I want to ask for holiness, but in the other heart, I'm not going to do the things I need to do to get it. You ask amiss, you're not going to get anything. You ask for faithful children, but you don't want to be a faithful parent. You're not going to get it. You ask for a faithful church, but you don't want to be a faithful church member. You're not going to get it. When you ask God for something, in this case, wisdom, don't be too hearted. Or it's really on your terms. Oh, I'll do these things if this, this, this. God answers none of those prayers because God is not at our beck and call and he will not give it. And then the sad state is That person will continue in darkness and ignorance, thinking the whole time they have truth, and they do not. Now, brothers and sisters, we've looked at what wisdom is, we've looked at how to get it, and we've looked at what hinders it. When we ask God in prayer, let us believe and trust God. I trust you with myself. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my relationships, Lord. You've done these things, and I don't understand it. I don't know why these things have happened to me, but I'll trust you. I'll submit. I haven't done a good job of it, but I want to. And I'm asking you for wisdom. Because wisdom will do what? Wisdom will say, oh, submit to the favor and precious hand of God Almighty. Why would you fight against someone you can't win against? Is that wise? Is it wise to rail against the God of the universe? Is it wise to rail and rebel against the one who holds the earth in one hand and the universe in the other? Is it wise? No, it is not. Let us, brothers and sisters, learn to ask God for true wisdom. And let us learn what it entails If we want holiness, let us truly desire holiness. Let us ask God for it. If we want all of these things, let us make sure we are desirous of those things. Let's not kid ourselves, right? Let's not even just hear ourselves pray. Let's be humble and sincere before the face of our God. And He will give us wisdom because He is our Heavenly Father. And He loves us in Christ more than you can imagine. Let's pray.